Well, I was going to get up here and uh, remind everyone that Children's Church is meeting in the back, but they left about 20 minutes ago. So. But if you do care to take advantage of uh, this ministry uh, for K through fifth grade and you, you didn't uh, get back there, you're welcome to. And although today uh, our message does include our children and it does include our adults, includes everybody, we're wrapping up our series entitled A Summer of Grace with a message called Grace for the World. I know it's a, a series has been a little bit sporadic, but if you remember, we've talked about what grace means for you, uh, your family, your enemies. And this morning, I'd like to drive home the idea that grace is for everybody. Grace is for everybody else as well. Uh, we've all heard the expression, one size fits all, right? This week, as I was working on my message, I, I thought of that phrase. One size fits all has some positive connotations to it when we run across it, right? If you're in the market for a new watch, and I don't mean those crazy new smart watches that make phone calls for you, I just mean the regular old wrist watches. Um, the ones that you might buy off the shelf might be marked one size fits all. If you're in the market for a, a bicycle helmet, maybe one with a ring fit system, it might be marked universal fit which is another way of saying, or close to saying, one size fits all, right? Speaking of headgear, a baseball cap with your favorite team name on it, and I'd like to say Chicago Cubs, but then that probably wouldn't make it a fit for all around here. <laughs> but the cap itself is likely to be labeled one size fits all. Poor Cubs this week against the Tigers. Poor Cubs. No sympathy, I see. But these items are all adjustable to the individual and therefore should accommodate nearly anyone who tries to wear them, right? Now, we can have some negative connotations to one-size-fits-all. You wouldn't want to see, for example, one-size-fits-all on a pair of shoes. There's probably a few different size pairs of feet out there. A pair of shoes, most clothing in general, is not going to be one-size-fits-all. It'll be tailored, right, to a person's shoulder, height, waist, length, inseam, so on, so forth. Unless you're one of a, an identical twin, you're, you're probably going to be built differently than the person standing next to you. Uh, Man-size 34 pants sadly doesn't fit me at all today. Would it fit me at age 12? Maybe. <laughs> I've graduated a few sizes larger than that. But it's not just clothing that we might view in the negative when it comes to uh, being one-size-fits-all. Uh, often a piece of uh, legislation, without getting too political here, but often a piece of legislation introduced by someone will be passed off as one-size-fits-all, and meanwhile you're sitting there going, wait a minute, this new law or federal requirement seems to fit everybody but me, right? How often does that happen? Uh, one-size-fits-all, does this work uh, when it comes to governing people? We should probably save that discussion for another forum. Here's a, another example, if we could uh, jump to it on the, on the screen. This should be a picture up there on the overhead. Here's an example of one size fits all uh, actually being flipped on its head a bit. One size does not fit all, one family, different unlimited plans. Now go mix and match Verizon. I just made money by showing that to you. No. I should have thought of that. But I took this picture uh, just the other day over at uh, Stanton at Verizon. Obviously, the cell phone company doesn't want to be thought of as offering phone plans, which are one size fits all, right? No, they want to be thought of as having something for everyone, uh, different unlimited plans. So you get the point. 
Um, you get the point about this popular expression. By the way, I, I thought this was kind of just an interesting fun fact. This uh, saying one size fits all, apparently it's been in the popular uh, vocabulary for over 50 years. So that's a lot of sizes not fitting all. But what does all this have to do with our message this morning? Might say uh, more rounded than a ball cap or better fitting than a pair of shoes, more assuring than even the best crafted piece of legislation and even better connection than the best cell phone plan. I'm sorry, but it's true. Comes grace comes grace. Let's jump to our, our next uh, screen up there if we could. The grace of God is one size fits all. Guaranteed. Titus 2.11 puts it this way, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. And back in the Gospel of John, and perhaps the most well-known verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, let's jump to that. It's up there as well. We read this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, you probably know this by heart, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God has brought salvation. For whom? For all people. For God so loved that he gave his only son to whom? The world. Jesus Christ came to each one of us. In fact, he even became one of us so that all of us might not have our, our wrists or our feet covered like an article of clothing, but that we might have our sins covered. One size fits all, except no substitutions. So if grace is intended for the whole world, if salvation has arrived, if it's come to all people of the world, then why are we so worried in the church about whether or not the world has gotten the memo? I mean, shouldn't we just accept that Jesus has brought grace to the whole world and call it a day on trying to reach others for Christ? Because, you know, a couple of portions of Scripture really do make it sound like no matter what you believe, according to some theologians, love wins, right? But not necessarily. Because not everyone is going to be won over for God's love. Not all individuals are going to accept God's grace. This is so important. Runs contrary to the Unitarian Church. They published a statement from 1805 that, quote, a loving God would never condemn any of his beloved creatures to an eternity of damnation. But the Bible does teach, tells us in Matthew, Revelation, among other places, that hell is indeed a place of damnation and it burns forever. So you and I don't automatically receive eternal life just because we've been given this life. Ever since Eden, ever since the garden, the devil has tried to convince us humans over and over that we don't need God. That our standing before our maker is unconditional. But God's word tells us that grace on a personal level is indeed conditional. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, football fans. But John 3.16 doesn't stop there. It goes on, grace is not guaranteed for all of the world automatically that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see the condition? Eternal life depends on belief. And to take this a step further, we should note that believer is an action word. 
The ESV study guide notes it can also mean whoever personally trusts in him. We can't listen to those behind pulpits try to tell us that salvation comes to us without obedience. In fact, the message of grace itself has traveled the world over because of the obedience of a few world travelers. And so this morning, it's imperative that we Christians continue to wear the proverbial wristwatch. The grace of God has appeared in our life, so what are we doing about it now? Our God has literally saved us from death. Are we grateful to him that he has been full of grace for us? Those of us who are Christians don't dare ignore what he asks of us now as we did before we were saved, but too often we do. Too often we do. I found the following illustration this week. I wanted to share it with you. One preacher writes, Consider this. You hear cries for help. You see someone being carried downstream in a raging river. This person is flailing their arms. They're going under. They're, they're going down, coming back up. They're struggling in the water. They're drowning. So you jump in. You risk your life to pull them from the raging rapids, and you're successful. You're successful. Life is saved. You both make it to shore, breathing heavily, the individual coughing, scrambling to catch their breath, eventually chokes up the words, thank you so much, almost died back there. And then immediately you turn around and you watch the person actually get up, turn and run and jump back into the rapids. What would you be thinking at this point? Would you stand there in shock, confused about what had just happened? Maybe questioning whether this individual had all their marbles? At some point, it's, it's likely you, you might be a little upset. You just risked your life to save the individual just to watch them turn around and jump right back into the very circumstances that nearly killed them. The story doesn't stop there. He continues, now imagine after, after this person foolishly jumps back into the rapids, then you hear them calling back out for help to save them. Now what do you do? I know what I'd be thinking. No way, Jose. You made your bed, now you sleep in it. This scenario sounds foolish, like who would actually respond in that way to someone who saved them? And yet Jesus, in his grace, draws us out of the world. And yet so many of us who have come out of the raging rivers by his hands actually turn and jump right back in by disobeying what he tells us to do. Too often, my friends, I think we expect Jesus to get us out of worldly danger without actually having to change our worldly ways, don't we? It'll never work. It'll just once again put us in deep water. Put us in deep water. We're obligated to Jesus more than that. We're obligated to one another much more than that. Our text from John that he gave his only son makes it clear that salvation in Jesus was a gift given by the Father, received by Christians. Each one of us have been drawn up by Jesus at a different body of water, not quite the raging rapids given in this illustration, but by waters of baptism. But this is only the beginning. Our being drawn up, our salvation in him, it's conditional. We receive this grace, 1 Peter 3.21, but how do we continue in it? By obedience. 
Third chapter of John, verses 3 to 5. You might make a note of Revelation 2, verse 10. But why is the grace of this great giver a conditional thing, you may ask? It's conditional from the giver on behalf of those who haven't yet received it. Who haven't yet received it. We must remain faithful in God's grace until he takes us back out of this world. Because think about it. Otherwise, what good are we? What good are we to the rest of this world? Which he gave his only son because he loved so much. What good are we? Do we stop and think about that with John 3.16? Salvation has come to all people. It's meant for all people. For a long time in my Christianity, I didn't get this. Went over my head a little bit. I love the idea that God included me in his salvation plan. I thought that was a pretty sweet part of the deal. But the urgency to extend the grace for others, the people whom God also loved, it didn't dawn on me for quite a while. I was baptized in Jesus as a small child, by the time I was 20, I was living my life not to do the will of God. I was doing what I wanted to do, which was often wholly contrary to the will of God. And it took an awful lot of personal failure and an equal amount of wasted time and frustration before I realized that God's grace was a whole lot bigger than just me. A whole lot bigger than just me. And so if you take nothing else from the message this morning, please take this. If you call yourself a Christian and you keep Jesus to yourself, you're doing it wrong. If you call yourself a Christian and you keep Jesus to yourself, you're doing it wrong. If you're in God's grace, you must press on with the message of God's grace. It took nearly a decade of my faith journey before I realized that my knowing the person Jesus Christ is just the beginning just the beginning of what God's up to that involves me. It's written right there in his word. Someone has said about the voting system in America, uh-oh, register and vote because democracy only does what it's supposed to do if you participate. I like that. Brothers and sisters, grace, grace for the world only does what it's supposed to do if you participate in it as well. If you're a baptized believer, God has done the work in saving you, but now it means you have work to do too. You have work to do too. You know what they say about Mexican food, that it's the gift that keeps on giving. So is the Son of God. We're going to talk about extending His grace some more this morning. Because if you're anything like me, if you are, I feel sorry for your spouse. I haven't used that one in a while. so. But, but if you're anything like me, you've heard about God's love for the world a few times. You've heard this scripture. God so loved the world. You've been acquainted with the words of John 3.16 so many times, probably in so many venues. It's, it's maybe become the very definition of old hat. Maybe uh, this text has lost some of its meaning for you. Uh, some of us can probably quote this scripture backwards in our sleep. It's come up in some strange places, right? How many years at football games and, and maybe referenced in some strange ways uh, at, at wrestling matches or what have you, on the interstate and, and on bumper stickers, maybe even across political signs. 
Um, within the church, uh, Billy Graham once said he spent most of his preaching career just trying to get the message of John 3.16 across. Author uh, Max Lucado tells the story of a glossed-over sermon meticulously researched he was preparing to deliver before deciding from behind a pulpit at the very last moment to abandon that direction in favor of an impromptu message on John 3.16. He was so familiar with its language. It's no overstatement to say that John 3.16 is perhaps the most well-known scripture in the entire Bible. Uh, I recently ended up with one of those little pocket Gideons. We, you know, the, we tend to uh, acquire those. Uh, got it next to my chair and it's kind of, kind of a neat thing to just grab. It's actually a, a Gideon in the ESV. I was like, yeah, way to go Gideons. I even like translation. So I had this in the beginning, and I wanted to throw it in here. I thought it was kind of a neat little, uh, another fun fact for the day. According to the Gideons, John 3.16 has been translated to over 1,100 languages. 26 of these translations were included in the preface. I thought that was pretty neat. 26 translations, spoken languages, uh, of this Gideon New Testament pocket edition. So we hear it a lot. Let's read it again. As often as we let it go in one ear and out the other. How often do we let it motivate our hearts and our feet for the Lord? Would you join me? Read it out loud with me this morning. Let's just go through it together. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the father gave the son for the whole world. But only those who do not perish but have eternal life are those who have believed, who have obeyed, followed Jesus. So God so loves the world, but yet God only saves those who obeys the Son. We established that earlier. Now think again with me. Is it possible we could feel any conviction about any time we may have wasted in not extending the message of John 3.16, the idea of grace for the world? To the world around us. I know I have. I know I have. I know I'm guilty of being a grace hoarder, if you will. There's a, there's a new idea for a TV show. The grace hoarders. I have a big old rocker recliner in my house, and it's a cozy one. It's almost kind of a trap to sit in it, because I'll be asleep within 15 minutes. Comfortable chair. I have Michigan's greatest collection of cheesy 50s B-movies on DVD. And I also have a TV remote that can pick up everything from Netflix to DirecTV to Hulu to Roku and probably a million other words in Japanese or whatever that is. I keep thinking Mr. Hulu was from Star Trek. That was Sulu, though, wasn't it? But I'm not starved for uh, ways to pass the time away. Not at all. It's a nice place to be until Jesus comes back for me. But that's okay. That's all right to do that. Because I know without a doubt that everyone in my neck of the woods already believes and follows Jesus. So the pressure's off me to build the kingdom, right? Pressure's off. And if I get in my car and I drive down the street, I know I'm not going to find a single non-believer in any of the houses in the neighborhood surrounding me, anyone struggling with their faith. So it's no problem. No problem to sit a while. 
I don't have to worry about all these people, people made in the image of God, people who are so loved by God, perishing because they didn't accept the grace of God. It's all good. As far as the eye can see, nothing but believers. I'm sure they're all covered. And I'm convinced that if I travel across town, if I go up and down Highway 46, I won't find a, a single cult. I won't find a single non-Christian group who stands contrary to the word of God and teaches and propagates false prophecy or lies about the divinity of Jesus. They're not over there. I have no reason to worry about God's grace covering the world. People getting the message and accepting it. They've done that. If I get online, I scan some websites, if I browse some social media, it's nothing but Jesus freaks on there, right? Nothing but pro-Christianity, no blasphemy, no, no atheism or agnosticism or fornication or violence or spiritual darkness among the masses. You think the preacher's out of his mind to talk like this. If I hear a news flash or I hear an update about any foreign group of people located in some far-off region across the globe, good news. I don't have to worry about the gospel message not present there. I can sleep well at night knowing that everyone everywhere believes in Jesus and will not perish but have eternal life. But if on some chance I'm wrong, if somehow I'm speaking falsely about my neighbors, my community, my country or my world, if there's a chance that somehow I'm mistaken in this train of thought, that I'm off in my assessment that all 8 billion people on this planet who are loved by Jesus are already saved by Jesus, then maybe it should behoove me every once in a while to put down that TV remote, and get up off that chair, and practice what I preach. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Maybe it should behoove us to remember the blessings of knowing divine love. To remember, I will personally be held accountable someday for passing it on. As the church, are we more interested in sitting back and being blessed by God than we are in being a blessing to the world? Has the comfort of saying grace among our own people been a substitute for sharing God's grace with all people? Because God has expected his people to be a blessing to the rest of the world going back to Abraham. Turn with me in your Bibles if you have them with you. Genesis 12, chapter 12. We read the following. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And here's the kicker, verse 3, for today's message. I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me ask you, did Abraham successfully get off the couch, put down the remote, and bless the world as a servant of God? Absolutely. And the Bible says he didn't even depart to follow God's call until he was 75 years old. Verse 4. I mean, wouldn't you expect God to expect Abraham to just take care of his own at this point in his life to maybe hit the recliner instead of getting off of it? 
One author writes, Abraham was sent as a blessing, not just to his family or the families of the Jewish people, but to be a blessing to everyone everywhere. God didn't send Abraham to the world to only work in favor of the Jews or to condemn non-Jews. God used Abraham as the vehicle through which all the world would be blessed. The Jewish line was Jesus' bloodline, right? He continues, John 3, 16 is evidence that like Abraham, it is through Jesus that God is seeing to it that all families of the earth are blessed. How does he do this today? Through the sons of Abraham, through Christ followers, through Christ followers. And all of a sudden, these words that we've heard maybe a million times, they hit us, remind us that God so loved not just Old Testament Israel, not just the New Testament church, but everybody at his ascension. The last time we saw him, Jesus didn't just say to us as followers, okay, guys, I did all the work on the cross. Now it's time for you to take a load off. Go teach, baptize, because God so loved the world. Christians carry the privilege and not the burden of faithfully as our father Abraham before us, going to the lands in which God directs us because God so loved the world. Christians don't work just in favor of our own, of even our fellow Christians, or to condemn non-Christians. God so loved the world. Instead, Christians let the father use us as he's used the son. I realize that following Jesus may sound like we're trying to fill some big shoes, but they're one size fits all. And so we put on those shoes. We go into the world, not necessarily because we love the work God has prepared for us, but because we know he loves the ones to whom we've been sent. Amen. We preach the gospel to our neighbors. We, we call on the lost among us. We go and we work in the church camps, we contribute, we support the Bible colleges, we go and we work with our missionaries, support them from afar, or even relocate directly to where they are. We open some wallets or roll up some sleeves and we run the Christian race of good works, realizing that our giving of ourselves to those around us isn't an optional response to God's plan of salvation. It's part of it. It's part of it. From here to Calvary, from Vesterberg to Jerusalem. I'd like to close with a brief story this morning. I was over in Stanton a few times this week. I already heard my wife's response to that. Oh, goodness. I don't know where we're going. This part could get scary. Had some visits in the area. Um, one of them was the doctor. Visit the doctor over there. As you can probably imagine, we've seen quite a bit of each other lately. On, the, on this occasion, I'd left, uh, the, we'd left doctors. I was waiting for my uh, uh, 2010th prescription to be filled at the local pharmacy. We stopped in, uh, my wife and I, uh, to grab a sandwich at Subway. And with this diverticulitis at this point in the treatment plan, I'm not supposed to have anything with seeds I'm uh, not supposed to have anything with the skin on it. Right now, I'm still uh, having as, as little fiber as I can, but uh, I can actually have white bread. It's actually uh, okay on the diet plan. So I've been eating a lot of tuna sandwiches. And, and I do like tuna sandwiches, but I've, I've had a lot of tuna sandwiches lately. So I, I popped in and I ordered my sandwich, 
and, and, and I ordered it with tuna, and I, I had a piece of cheese, no vegetables again, but plenty of tuna, a sandwich, extra tuna on the tuna. And the experience was just as exciting as the last tuna sandwich I ate at home. Maybe a little more exciting because it was at Subway. A little bit of time had passed into the meal, and, and we were sitting there eating in one of the booths, and, and an older gentleman with a cane hobbled over to us. I'd been wearing my Ferris Church of Christ t-shirt that day, and, and he saw the, the Go Teach Baptize mission uh, statement on the back of this particular shirt. And, and the, the, the man came over and pointed out to us that he, that he liked the slogan and the shirt. And I was, of course, able to tell from the comments that, he, that followed that he was a believer, a couple of moments later, uh, the gentleman pulled out a Ziploc bag from his pocket. The bag was full of little homemade wooden crosses, about yay big. I meant to bring one with you, but uh, it, something got left out today, and that was it. He reached into the bag, and he brought out three of the little crosses, and he handed them over and he gave them to us. And, and as he handed them over to me, he shared with me that these little wooden crosses had been handmade and sold to him by a vendor in the Holy Land. Actually, in the Holy Land. The gentleman had, had made his way recently to some of the places in the world where Jesus actually walked and come back uh, you know, with something special to show for it because they love to take our money over there. These crosses had meant so much to the gentleman in the time that had passed, and he wanted to share them with others. And I thought that was kind of neat. We smiled and, and, and thanked this world traveler, and, and before he made his way out of the restaurant, I stopped and turned to my wife, smiled and said, you know what the best part of this lunch was? Becky looked over at me and said, the tuna sandwich? And I paused and said, no. See, the best part of this lunch is I've been racking my brain trying to figure out how to finish this week's sermon on grace. And God just provided the ending. So here it comes. Brothers and sisters, the idea of a cross which has traveled the whole world over from the Holy Land, Jerusalem, same part of the world. This is an idea that's still being passed on, isn't it? Now, think about this. Think about this. This was a long time ago. It took one person, a divine person, but one person, nevertheless, to share it with others. And today, just like that stranger at Subway did, it's up to us you and I, to keep passing the message of Jesus on the cross today. That's how, he, that's how he does it. That's how he works. Through these hands and these feet. It's a big job, sure, for all 75 or 80 or whatever of us this morning to give up our time and give up our money, give up our resources for the sake of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. But consider the fact that Jesus originally chose 12 people to take it across the world. Wow. Now imagine what all of us could accomplish together as Ferris Church of Christ. Imagine. We've got Twitter. That solves everything. Maybe not. Has the grace of God meant anything to you? From John 3.16, this message, has it meant anything to you? 
If that's the case, friends, I challenge you. This year, month, and week, afternoon, maybe stop into a subway. Drop into the Ferris Baby Pantry. Call up a neighbor. Visit someone you know that is hurting. Love an enemy. You don't have to go teach baptize across the planet unless the Spirit tells you to. But you do have to go to someone somewhere. So go out. Share this grace with others like it means the whole world to you because it meant the whole world for Jesus Christ. It meant the whole world to him. God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Let's take those words, take them to heart. Would you pray with me? God, we are, we are blessed people, blessed beyond our knowledge, blessed, be, blessed beyond perception, because We've experienced your love. Lord, every day you, you give to us, you bless us with. Every day is, is, is a new opportunity. Every day is a new opportunity, Lord, to take your grace and to take it to the world. Lord, we, we pray that you would Work through us. Convict us, Lord. We're fortunate to live at a time, in a place. Lord, we can go out in daylight still and sing your praises before others without fear of repercussion. Lord, we know it's not always easy. Lord, we know we stand to be ridiculed. We know that the world is, is in the hands of the enemy. But Lord, we also know that we're very blessed. Right now, Lord, we, most of us probably wouldn't want to be anywhere else than where you've placed us. Help us to take advantage of the freedom we have. What's more, Lord, help us to take advantage of the freedom that we have in you. Because someday, Lord, we know you're coming back. And this grace period is over. You're coming back and we're going home. And that's it. Lord, the people that we have trouble loving, you love. Those people that have hurt us, have betrayed our trust. Those people that stand in opposition to everything you stand for, you love. Lord, it is not your will that anyone should perish. So Lord, fill us with conviction to go, to go to them and allow you to do what you've been doing for thousands of years. Whether we receive a call like Abraham, whether we, we receive a call within our own community, Lord, we, we lean to you and we look to you to guide us and direct us to do your will in this world. 
Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy and grace. Help us to pay it forward. And it is in the awesome name of Jesus that I pray these things. Amen. And today we, we, extend, we extend that invitation to you if you've not yet made a, de a decision. Begin that grace journey. Come up out of those waters. Be pulled out as if you've been drowning and someone reaches in and pulls you up out of the water and gives you new life. And that's exactly what happens to us at that point. We have the example in scripture where we see Jesus and he's, he's brought up at baptism and we hear the voice of the Father, we, we know the presence of the Spirit, and we know we are blessed because God makes us new and God sustains us. If you haven't yet come out of those baptismal waters and you'd like to begin that journey, we, we extend an invitation for you to do that at this time. Or if you have another public decision that you'd like to make, we're going to stand and sing in the hands of God and um, pass this on to Gerald if, if uh, that's okay with him. Uh, kind of messing up our order a little bit today. But. Grace, it's a thought that's bigger than the whole world, amen? You have a part to play in the grace of God. Let's sing. You know, we could say that I can't go call on somebody. I was thinking about this when Josh was talking. It makes me uncomfortable to do that. I'm a little bit afraid to go speak to someone about Jesus Christ or to go knock on their door and invite them to church. Do you think it was comfortable for Jesus to go to the cross? What's our job, you know?